podcast. I'm Clayton Langlesigich. I'm Jade Meskill. I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Roy Vanwater. And today we are talking about soul-crushing technical debt. Oh. <laughs> yes, times a thousand. <laughs> uh, so, Roy, you coined that phrase moments ago. Can you explain a little bit more? Uh, I'm just thinking of like the technical debt where it feels like it's so intimidating that you don't even know where to begin and just every effort feels like you're blowing into the wind or trying to push a mountain with your pinky toe or something. Yeah, I um, I was looking at some code with someone today, pairing and uh, kind of trying to walk through some stuff and there was some code where no one really knew how this thing worked um, and if you change the seventh constructor argument, I think there are like 10 total. If you change the seventh constructor argument from uh, an empty string to, to null, then it did something totally different and, you know, it blew up everywhere. And um, I, I kind of was feeling the same way. Like, how do we even, you know, there's this core part of the application that nobody understands how to use it. And unless you're sitting there with Eclipse open where you can actually look and it'll like tell you all the different crazy details, right. you would have no idea how anything works. That's okay. I'm winning my soul grudging technical debt day at a go-to statement in Java. So there. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did see that. That was pretty intense. But I mean, it makes you want to do like the big rewrite, but like, dude, like this, like some of these applications are so gigantic that like. First off, the big rewrite's always a mistake, right? I've never seen that go well. But even like the tiny, like it, it, it feels so big that I don't know where to start. Like it, I, I feel like anything I do just does nothing. Well, and I think also this is where this is where you get into the habit, or where people mistakenly call it refactoring, and they say, <laughs> "Oh, we just we need, need to refactor that," right? Which is we need to rewrite that, yeah. you know. And, and especially even if they have a test suite, you're not really. I mean, I don't think you're refactoring. Even if you have a test suite, if you just go through and just rewrite a big swath of the code, right? Yeah. We have to rewrite I mean, your test suite. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. I refactored red, it, and now it works better. Red, green, wait, wait a decade, refactor. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that how it works? Yeah. yeah. So I guess the thing I'm concerned or I'm curious about is is a reasonable strategy to say, um, we don't want to do the rewrite, but we know that there's parts of this application that we don't like. So uh, can I take the kind of Boy Scout rule and just, when I'm in some part of the code, just try and make it a little bit better? And if... You know, for instance, I'm trying to use some piece of the application that doesn't really work very well. Can I just make a, you know, you know, make some new endpoint or some new interface, and I can just use that thing, and I can kind of slowly piece it together. And if I do that over and over and over again, at the end of the day, we'll have this nicer thing that we can that everyone can use. But it doesn't feel like a big rewrite. No, yeah, but yeah, but that's like marginally better, right? Like I'd feel like it, it would take years and years before you'd even be able to notice changes. Sometimes it does, right? I mean, Man, as sucks. the author of a lot of technical debt, that is soul crushing. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that that you know that we've had to take that strategy before, uh, where we make small incremental improvements mm-hmm. as we go. Uh, what what I tried to do in later days, as I realized how bad things were, is do the strategic rewrite. Right, we would rewrite small pieces at a time, try to make them more modular. Uh, they'd still have to fit into the overall mess or nightmare mm-hmm. um, but you know those pieces would be nice and clean and as that it was really more of a mindset than necessarily a whole bunch of code that we had to rewrite right we had to start thinking about things in different ways in order to overcome that soul crushing technical debt right we had to get we had to get a whole new religion to, so to get over our depression from what we had before so that's really tough too like if you're working with a bunch of people who have never seen any code other than this yeah. one project right they don't know any other way they don't even understand that there is a better way yeah I, I think to me it really most technical debt I see is because people have created monsters right and they just keep yeah. adding and adding and adding and adding and adding 
And, and I think what Jade might be talking a little bit about is when you start to take the more Unix approach, instead of saying, like, let's have this big monolithic operating system that just does everything, we, we have this thing that's got a series of tools, and we can chain the tools together, and we can intermix, and we can do some really complicated things, but by using some very simple things. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times you have to take these big, giant, monolithic applications that nobody really understands from cradle to grave and start to say, can we take this little bitty piece of it, this little component or this little piece, and can we pull that out and you know make it an API or a library or something that is more independent and everybody can understand what that thing does? And you kind of do that one at a time, one at a time, until pretty soon you've now got several smaller applications or some applications and some libraries and some different things. But but now it's you know much more testable, much more readable, much less interdependent on everything. And I think that that's where technical debt kills is when everybody is afraid to touch it because they have no idea what's actually being <laughs> right. impacted by it. Yep. Like we had that with that go-to today that we were we were arguing about, like, why instead of making fun of it, why don't we just fix it? And it's like everybody was just too scared to touch it because, like, who knows what that what the hell they were thinking when they did that. Well, and that's, always, that's like the big thing that, you know, Bob Martin goes over is, um, you know, you get code rot and you get all these bad practices because people are afraid. You know, that's like the fear of changing that code is probably the worst thing that you can have in your mm-hmm. code base, right? I agree. Well, and I think that is a smell of technical debt. Right. right. The minute that you're afraid to change your code, you probably have some form of technical debt. The more afraid you are, the more soul-sucking, soul-crushing that debt has become. Mm-hmm. So, how much like how much technical debt or maybe how bad does it have to be do you think before the average team is realizing that that's inhibiting them from either being more successful or having more, you know, quote-unquote progress and however you measure that, maybe shipping more features or being able to deploy more frequently or having a 10-minute build or whatever it is. I don't know, but like a month ago, my opinion would have been way different than today, right? Like, I think it's right about the time you go out of business. <laughs> I mean, I think that probably, like, that's so, probably realistic, right? So, so yeah. I, I, like, I don't think the team will ever realize it on their own because they've been boiling it, they've been boiled into it slowly. Yeah, I just say, I, the only time I ever see teams come to that realization is if they have somebody new added to the team that says, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Or... If they get to a point where they keep adding crap on, crap on, and somebody asks, you know, think of it like a Christmas tree, and it goes up to a point, and then somebody says, I've got a 7,000-pound star. I want to put it on top of the tree. And they go, uh, yeah, we need to rewrite this so that it can support a seven. And that's usually what it comes down to is, yes, we can do the 7,000-pound star, but we're going to need three years to rewrite the application to accommodate that. And if it really is a 7,000-pound star, very often the business says, well, it's worth a whole lot of money, so I guess we're going to give you three years to rewrite it. And then it doesn't support the star. And it takes six years. Right. <laughs> well, we'll have to make do with a 100-pound star. Well, and then we just build up a whole other set of technical debt. Correct. Yeah, right. Because we didn't learn anything from and it. We didn't actually have to deal deadline with it. Yeah. <clears throat> we never had to deal with fixing the problem. We totally. just got to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you get enlightenment? That was a tough I was just waiting question. for that to be totally silent there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing we have all the answers on this podcast. Well, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I think some we of edited it... edited the answer out. I, okay. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret. Yeah. For a mere $3,000 per minute, we can tell you the answer. Get out of technical debt. <laughs> I, I think there's two kind of elements to it. One is I think that people have to be ready to hear it. 
have to be ready to recognize it. So sometimes I think people are in kind of that 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 mindset or that thing of like, who are you to tell me that I'm potentially doing something wrong? And if I'm not ready to to be there, it doesn't matter. So That's it's true. a twelve step program. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to be able to admit you you have a problem. Right? I mean, there's and, a higher and, power, and, and that and higher then, power has control over the code. And then I think the other thing is until you kind of get a little promiscuous in other code and other code bases, I don't think you understand uh, the deficiencies that you have. So I know for myself, the big thing was starting to participate in open source and free software. That really gave me an introduction to a whole bunch of developers working with them and hearing their opinions and hearing how they thought this was dumb or that was great or this was <laughs> And they stupid. reject your patch. And they reject your patch. <laughs> I mean, and I think that that opened up a whole new world outside of the, like, limited scope. So even though I might have been in a company that had 100 other programmers, there's a bunch of groupthink within that group of 100 programmers. So the minute I started to step out and, 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 and deal with different platforms and different countries and different, you know, ages and all sorts of different demographics about how they viewed things, it started to open me up to like, wow, maybe I'm doing some things that are really stupid. Maybe I'm doing some great things. Maybe I'm doing some bad things. But it was the first time that I actually reflected and said, wow, maybe I should look at what I'm doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had a similar experience. You know, it came mostly from a self-taught, uh, but a kind of isolated uh, path, right, to to development. And once I really started getting into uh, supporting free software and, and kind of drinking the Kool-Aid there, uh, that really opened my eyes to a whole other world of of doing things, and you know, really an intolerance for crappy code. I think pairing helps a ton with that too. But I mean, even with pairing, like somebody that somebody in the group of people that are that are pairing, like need need to know some different practices. Like if they're all like, right. if we if we both don't care, right? We, we both don't together. care, and we've or or we both even if we care, but we've both only ever worked on the same code base. And we don't know any other way. Like we're never going to be able to teach each other good things. Well, and I mean, I, I think a lot of it is getting out of the same technology. So I mean, if I program in .NET all the time and I have a new concept of what Unix is, there are some huge paradigm differences between those two operating systems and platforms. Mm -hmm. And and there's good things and bad things about both of them. But if I only know one of them. I'm totally ignorant of the other. Same with languages. If I've never used a dynamic language or a statically typed language or a compiled language version, interpreted language, I have no idea how the other half lives. And so, like, I think you can take so many things back, even if you just go play around with a project or with some code for a couple of days and, and figure out how some things work, you can take that experience back to what you're currently doing. And, and I think that that is the thing that is really difficult. Until you're doing that, I, I think you have no self-awareness, right? I mean, you act, I think you have to actively seek to be self-aware about how you write software. So, so how do you um, how do you go about like paying off the debt? Is that something Add that more you? People. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so assuming, assuming you hit the, you know, you added infinity people and your project is good. Right. No, but so oh, you rewrite it then because now you got lots of people to rewrite it. Well, <laughs> and so if you. It was Skunk Works team. Do you try and just take the incremental approach and like kind of do it? Um, maybe you inflate everything. Like every new feature you inflate because you're going to try and tackle the technical oh, debt. Sick. And you don't, you kind of, you know, hush, hush. You don't really tell anybody you're doing it, but you do it anyway. Well, how do you, how do you pay down normal debt? So, so I mean, I, I think. No, I think, I'm really asking. I need to know. Because <laughs> you don't, you don't normally share normal debt amongst a bunch of people, right? Like you share it amongst your family. But, That's what my wife keeps telling me. Right? <laughs> but if you, but like with, with a team, like many teams don't even see themselves as that much of a team, so they don't even think of the debt as a team ownership thing. They think of like 
their own specific screw ups as maybe a small part of their debt, but they don't own the code base because I didn't touch like your part of it. That's and, your problem. Yeah. So I, th- I think, I mean, I think that's, that's a good point, right? Like, I mean, you know, you, re- I don't, I don't think you want to, to lie about it because what's going to happen is that's just going to end up creating all sorts of other problems and teen dynamic issues and trust issues and everything yeah. else. But I, I think if you were to look at normal debt, right, you would say the first thing we have to know is how bad is it? What, what do we, what do we really fa- Like what, how much do we owe? And then you have to know how much do we make. And then you have to know what's, what's an acceptable timeline to pay it down. And based on that, you're going to have to make all sorts of decisions. So if you say, you know, I'm X, X thousands of dollars in debt and I make X amount and it needs to be paid off in the next 12 months, I know how much I need to cut my spending or increase my revenue in order to pay that in that time. So what happens if you can't? What happens if your spending, or sorry, your, your income is not enough to cover the debt in that timeline? Like, yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a manager who treats it as like, man, if you have technical debt, that's, you, you screwed that up. Like, that's your bad. So you're going to have to figure that out on your own. sunk. Because yeah. you still need to make up, like, you, you need to deliver all these features and you, you need to have 20 velocity. I'd fill right. out my resume. I mean, like I, I mean, at some point you have to be realistic, and I think there are some projects that are so far into technical debt that it would probably be beneficial for people to say we're going to ride this product out to its death, and we're not going to add more code to it because it. it, I mean, we call it we call we call it end of lifeing a product for a reason. There are times where a product has run its course, meaning if the product is not able to boost revenue enough to pay to remove the technical debt it's probably not a product worth continuing to operate that's a good point yeah yeah i mean sometimes the cost benefit ratio is so you know outsized because it takes so much effort to add the smallest feature because Mm -hmm. of all of this technical debt right right and i think that becomes your compelling selling point if you're trying to maybe turn the corner before it's too late is you need to really look at and measure how hard is it to add a feature? How many defects get generated every time we add a new feature because of unintended consequences, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we start to mitigate those things? But but you need some metrics around that. Well, I think it's really difficult to measure um, how like the technical debt and the coupling of the code and the, all that other stuff impacts the feature adding. I think that's a difficult skill to acquire and you know a lot of teams really don't have that it's not teams it's poor product ownership i mean this is a classic case if i got a a product that's making 10 million dollars a year and um it's been making the same 10 million dollars a year for the last three years i.e it's got no growth but i've got a team of 10 people that i'm paying to add new features to it if i'm paying three teams worth of people to add features and i'm not getting any additional revenue I have to ask myself, why am I not having two or three people maintain this program and let it ride itself out for the next two, three years, making $10 million, take those other three teams and go build something new, you know, not rewrite this application, but go build something new that could be a potential new revenue generator. And I think people are just afraid, afraid to admit those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we are out of time, so I hope we have adequately address the soul-crushing technical debt. Yeah, my soul still feels kind of crushed. <laughs> crushed. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll leave like 11 hours of silence on the podcast and somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in there we'll answer the question about how you oh, solve this problem. We'll come in and whisper so keep it. listening. Yeah. Right. Minute 17. <laughs> Thank you.
Damn, I still still feel kind of crushed. The answer is 42. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integrumtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.